Welcome to Artful Aging with Amy, where I ask caregivers and professionals the difficult questions that will give you guidance on your life's journey. Support is only one conversation away, and this is your first step. Let's go. Good morning, everyone. I'm Amy Friesen, and this is Artful Aging with Amy. On today's show, we will be discussing something that it hits home for me, which is navigating the sandwich generation and coming out the other side with your whole self. In case you missed the explanation in my ninth episode with Sarah, here it is again. The sandwich generation means that you are an individual who is both caring for your children and your parents. As a member of this generation, I can tell you that it can be both exhausting and rewarding, all wrapped into one. However, today's caregivers are also full-time employees, executives, and business owners, which causes many other stressors and obligations. Caregivers have told me that they often feel as though they are in a tug of war with all the obligations, and I also see high amounts of unrecognized and untreated burnout. Did you know that the last 20 years, the seniors population has increased in Canada 75% with a 90 plus population uh, increase of 145% on its own, which also means that 2.2 million employed individuals are caregivers to their aging parents as well as their children. It's predicted that the senior population over the next 20 years is going to grow another 68%. There has never been a better and more needed time right than right now to figure out new and innovative ways to support a huge population. My guest today is someone who has had to embrace life's journey that included both of her parents being diagnosed with brain cancer at the same time, having to shift gears in her own life very quickly and teach herself how to be present in the moment and go on this end of life journey with her parents has shown Laura that there is so much that still needs to be done to support other caregivers just like herself. Today, Laura Dill is best-selling author internationally a coach and the founder of a Slay Society, which is a foundation focused on supporting families and their journey with glioblastoma. I can't say that very well, Laura. You're going to have to tell me. Glioblastoma? Tell me in a minute. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for joining me. Laura, please tell me how to say this. <laughs> okay, nobody can say this properly. It's oh. glioblastoma. You got it the I, last time. Well, I had it before we started. Glioblastoma. So, Laura, thank you for clarifying that and for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on to share your story today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I really appreciate it. And I love the work that you do and the awareness that you bring to caregivers and to this, just this entire part, this journey of all of our lives, because we're all going to be here, God willing, we're all going to be here at some point. And it really is a blessing. It's an honor to be a caregiver. It's hard as hell but it's such a special part of life. And if we learn how to not let it swallow us whole, then we can really grow from it. I, I think so too as well. And like I said, there's, it's just, there's a whole population of caregivers out there that are doing all this for their parents and for their children. That's really uh, like silent. It's, it's really unnoticed and it's just getting more and more. So maybe we could start today, Laura, by telling us uh, more about your story and how it's led you to be where you are today. Could you give us a little bit of a backwards glimpse into your life? <laughs> Absolutely. So the story, well, I mean, my story starts kind of boring. I just had a very regular family life. One, you know, one girl, one boy, like one brother, one sister, 
Um, my two parents, uh, they divorced when I was 17. And we had this interesting journey, which so many people do, of trying to figure out how to manage a blended family, right? But they remarried and we were all trying to come back together. And um, in that, as I became an adult and had children, it was actually sort of a, a fairy tale perfection on how they were able to manage that, my mom and dad, with with the spouses and and then at the end of 2019, it all took a very, um, a tragic turn, but an interesting turn when they were both, as you mentioned at the top of the show, they were both um, diagnosed with glioblastoma only 14 days apart. So my father had been experiencing just some very, you know, cognitive, um, a bit of a cognitive decline, I guess, losing, you know, short-term memory, putting something down and forgetting where it was. It looked very similar to Alzheimer's to us. We never expected that a diagnosis of a brain tumor would come back, let alone a terminal brain tumor. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with glioblastoma specifically, it is a terminal form of brain cancer. So a primary, primary tumor formed in the brain. It did not come from anywhere else in the body. The terminality of it is that it sends tendrils through the brain. So when you remove the tumor, there are still all these sort of pathways of cancer that can spread right across to the other side that can't be eliminated. It is an aggressive um, treatment with six months of chemo with radiation. There's a bit of a structure there, but overall it's about a six, seven month aggressive treatment plan and then just maintenance. But the prognosis is 12 to 18 months for a glioblastoma patient. So to find that out about my dad, I decided right away and I have three kids. I had three businesses at the time. And right away, I decided I would take a pause on my businesses, put them on the back burner a little bit, go down to part-time and everything I did and try to be there for him as much as I could. And then 14 days later, on my actual birthday, on September 7th, I was celebrating with my dad and my mom was in her own kitchen across the city from us here in Ottawa. And she actually dropped of a seizure and was rushed to emerge, the same emerge, and was diagnosed with exactly the same rare, rare terminal brain cancer. So fast forward all that, we went through quite the tumultuous journey of, you know, we, we were kind of fortunate in a way that we got to, sounds very weird to say this, but it is, it is true. We got to put their radiation appointments together every day. So we would have the radiation at the same time. We'd all meet there like this big, weird, blended family unit and um you know it ended up being something that was so horrific and so unimaginable it it added this very intimate layer to it i got to care for both of my parents at the same time i did take my mom to live with me um my dad stayed with his wife and i got to sort of be there for both and take care of both and i'm not sure anybody wants to do that <laughs> given that I had, you know, divorced parents to have the opportunity to take care of them both at the same time really was such a blessing for me. I think that, well, firstly, thank you for sharing the story. You and I have spoken before and I was in awe of your story before. And that's also why I wanted you to come on today. It's, it sounds like it just, it, it's on that both ends, right? You've got your parents that are not with each other anymore, but kind of everything has been brought together in this, you know, tragedy slash kind of I don't know you found your way I don't even words for it and I'm sure you don't have a lot of words for it either you found your way to kind of get through 
what you're dealing with in the brain cancer, but also kind of reunited the family and brought all these extra, you know, your step parents together as well. I was reading a bit of about it in your book, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I just thought it was lovely how, even though it's very tragic, um, you were, you guys were able to come together as a family. And I just think that that's phenomenal. And a lot of the questions that I want to talk to you about today is really how can we open this discussion up for other caregivers, other people that are in a similar scenario, um, to learn from, because you're so strong and you've come through it. And I know that you've had these ups and downs and, um, and I want to just to kind of dive deep into it. So with your permission, I'd like to ask you some hard questions. Um, like I said, because I want people to see that they're not the only ones going through these journeys and that there are very similar stories. And I've talked to thousands of families and although the stories are a bit different, the struggles look very similar. And so how can we help people where they're at between the two of us today? How can we have help them look at their situation and, and start putting pieces together that can help them? So I guess maybe one of the other questions I want to lead with is that, you know, in the time period that your parents were going through um, the their brain cancer journey, you're going through this with them. What I want to know is how did it affect your home life with your children and your husband? Because a lot of the people that we're talking to today, Laura, are caregivers of both their children and their parents, you know, term sandwich generation. How did it affect you know, you putting all of your energies into your parents, how did that affect your home life with your children and your spouse, if you don't mind sharing? And actually, I'm so glad you asked that because it's so focused, everything is so focused on the patient. And I mean, rightfully so. And then the focus is on the caregiver, but then people seem to forget that there's this whole support network past that. And I've always said, and I maintain that the caregiver needs a caregiver and that caregiver needs a caregiver. And it's like concentric circles, right? When you drop a, a rock in a pond, everybody needs that support outwardly. Um, so for myself, I mean, I, I was one of the primary caregivers. I was primary caregiver for my mom, secondary for my dad, but I needed somebody to take care of me. And so my husband had to step up in a very big way he also had to um, work extra because I stopped working. So financially, I was no longer providing much of anything. So he had the extra burden of that. Plus the fact that mentally and emotionally, I was pretty topped out. I would come home from, from two parents and hospitals and I wouldn't have a lot left to give to, uh, sadly, a lot left to give to my kids. I just didn't. Um, and if you're watching this and you're thinking, I can relate, then it, I'm just want to let you know it's okay that you don't have much left right now either. This is temporary. Um, but I didn't have a lot left for everybody else because I was giving so much to my mom and dad. And so he had to, you know, write down to pick the kids up every day from school, which he wasn't doing before. That was usually my schedule. So he was changing his routine, working extra, working late into the night at home on his laptop. He was burning out. So who takes care of him? I can't. So he ended up having, and I'm going to get very personal here, but he ended up having an emotional breakdown. And I wrote about this in my book, and I, I can talk about this very openly, um, but he had a breakdown. So he one day shut off. This is about you know, several weeks into the second diagnosis. He shut off. He got sick. He couldn't get out of bed. His stomach was in knots. And for about a week, he thought he had the flu. And then at the end of that week, we realized 
there's no flu. And he knew. He just lied there staring at the ceiling. He wasn't even turning on the TV. It was just a very hard way to see him there and to realize then that my dad was down, my mom was down, and now my husband was down. It felt like every pillar that would ever have supported me had crumbled and I only had me left. So I had to then turn outward and find someone to support my husband. And then, you know, and so on and so on, because everybody who gives their energy to another human needs to be lifted up in some way. This is tiring. We're expending energy all the time in this caregiver role. Um, my, ch my children were pretty, I don't know why I'm laughing when I say my children, because I just, they've been dragged through the ringer. I mean, they really have. They've seen, my mom was living here and she had well, she had two tumors, so two surgeries, two days apart, and she had 64 combined, 64 staples snaked through her head and two big, long incisions. And every night I would have to put polysporin, and I'm squeamish as all heck, and I had to put polysporin on every, you know, centimeter of that um, incision line with a Q-tip. And so, I mean, they watched stuff like that. They saw her fall down. They saw her vomit. They saw her you know, like uh, they saw her lose who she was. They saw her become this pillar for them, this spiritual connection, the safe place that they had in their life. They saw her go from that to childlike because this disease really does cause you right off the bat very often to become childlike. It literally takes half your brain out. And so it, it creates a, a dependency right from the get-go along with physical deficits and so they saw a lot of things that most kids don't have to witness at such a young age. And um, one of my daughters has anxiety and has always struggled with very high level of anxiety. And that just magnified that for her quite a bit. Um, it's hard to say, you know, at the time, they kind of just go through the motions because they're little and they're, you know, we'll say they're resilient, but they go through the motions but it's the later, it's like when the quiet happens at, at nighttime, when they lie down and their little brains are spinning and all of a sudden the tears start and they're clutching their stuffies and they're saying, I don't want granny to die. And that was the hardest, always the hardest part. They could get up and go to school. They could get to their sports. They could see their friends until COVID hit. Um, but it was the nights that they had the hardest time. That's again, thank you for sharing. It's so touching and it hits me on such a level too. And I'm actually tearing up listening to it because I can put myself in your physical, you know, not entirely, but in that kind of situation. And, and uh, it's super difficult. And uh, I hope yeah. that, you know, people can relate to that. The other question I had with that is, you know, I'm a business owner as well, as you know, um, and the fact that you had to put all three of your businesses on hold to become a full-time caregiver to me is very upsetting as well, because, you know, I love what I do for work. I, you know, that that's why we're business owners, because we want to do what, you know, what we're really good at and what we're passionate about. So how was that putting your businesses on hold for that time? I feel like I, I, I'm going to take this in a whole other direction here, but I think it's important to to say or to recognize because um, this is a part I wasn't expecting for myself. But, you know, the truth is when I decided to do that, it was hard. And the hardest part was the lack of finances. The hardest part was the, you know, the not having the money to pay our bills and seeing that my husband was trying to overcompensate for that. And 
Um, but <laughs> as far as purpose goes, as far as me getting up every day and, you know, it, it didn't take away from that. There was no like, gosh, I, I miss this job or I miss, you know, what I did. I had a horticultural landscaping business. Um, I had a, a um, a beauty counter business and I had a mom coaching and podcast business with a friend. And so I missed those things, but I wasn't like longing for them. I didn't feel like there was a void there because my purpose became very clear that I needed to just be there for my parents. So I never had that, like, who am I? I'm losing my sense of self. I want to be working. I sort of found this beautiful way to like dapple in those things a little tiny bit here and there but was so focused on caring for, and not even caring for, just showing up for, just being present for my parents. It, whether I was helping change their briefs or, or you know, address their bed sores or just sitting there reading them a book while they slept, it was the same to me. I was just happy to be present. Um, but what I wasn't expecting was actually after they passed away. So they did both pass away in 2020 during the pandemic um, six months apart. And um, it was that it was that mess afterwards where because my businesses had been on hold, I, I wasn't sure if I could just pick them all back up. Because I was going through so much grief, I wasn't, I didn't have it in me to just pick them all back up. Because I changed so much and grown and developed as a person, did I even want to do those things anymore? And therefore, I would wake up feeling like, well, now I'm not a caregiver. Now I'm not a, a landscape business owner. Now I'm not this. So who am I? And I suffered this, and still am, quite honestly, this like identity crisis. Well, now what do I do and who am I worth? Who? What am I worth and who am I important to? And that that was something that kind of blindsided me. Yeah. To, so I'm saying that to prepare, you know, for anybody that is in this caregiver role. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame when you kind of aren't the caregiver anymore and you wonder who you are because that's how important that caregiver role is in your life. For sure. And you're putting all of that energy for that long of period. And then you're still a caregiver. You still have three kids. And so you're still doing that, but it looks so much different. And when your days before yeah. that, I'm just, you know, speaking from my point of view, but I love your opinion, your days before that were committed to your family, yourself, your businesses and things like that. And then when you have to kind of cut that off and go full into a caregiving role for your parents and stuff, and then you come out of it again, it's hard to restart that, I would say. Like even looking at my own business, it's, you know, once you step away, it's hard to like, you're right, you know, where do you belong at that point? And how does that, you know, how is your life going to shape from there? Wouldn't you say? And you're not the person you were when you stepped away from that. That's right. They're giving changes you in, in such a positive way, but it changes who you are. Yeah, I can definitely, I definitely understand for that. Um, we talked a little bit about your, your husband kind of going through a burnout phase as well. Uh, and I had mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, I deal with a lot of families, a lot of individuals that I, as an outside professional, can see that they're in burnout. And I'm so... I, I look at, you know, this scenario so often and so other people's so many other people's lives that when I'm in burnout, I can see myself. And so I have an advantage at that, that I know, and I was talking to you before the show of how, you know, my burnout, it's almost kind of like you, you're going and then you dip and then you go and you're like, okay, I can do it again. And then you like lose it and you can do it again and then you lose it again. And I feel like, I'm you know, I'm always in that dip. 
Um, can you tell me, you know, what has your experience been with burnout? You know, how, how have you found, you know, how have you found your way? How have you addressed burnout? Um, maybe you could give us a little bit of information for that. I am naturally just a very high energy person. And I mean, I think that's a blessing and a curse. But when my parents got sick, I decided <laughs> the right thing to do would be to start a charity, like a full-fledged charity. And I started throwing all my energy. I think it was my way of feeling like I had control over something because everything felt like, especially with COVID, like it was spinning out of control. So I threw a lot of my extra time, not that I had much of that, into building this um, this charity, which has since become a registered charity. And so I could go, go, go. I could go all day to the hospital, you know, get up, get the kids ready, drop them off at school, go to one hospital, give my mom breakfast, take care of her, then give her lunch, get her to physio, leave that hospital, go to my dad's hospital, spend the afternoon there, get him up and go for a walk around the halls, come back, pick up my kids. This is when my parents were both in different hospitals. I mean, this changed throughout our journey, but and, you know, pick up the kids, get them to their after school sports, do all the dinner stuff, homework, do a bunch of, of foundation work, do a bunch of, um, you know, awareness work and it's still like, you know, then crash at the end of the night or not. Because like I said, nighttime, it's quiet and your brain is spinning. And that's where I would actually go through all the processing of all the trauma of every single day. But because I'm, I go so fast and I think this is not a bad way to be, but I think anyone who's like that just needs to be careful. I would then crash really hard and the crashes would come, you know, I'd go a few weeks and then I'd crash really hard for a couple days. And, and I still do this. This is still my, my pattern. I don't intend to make that a pattern, but I always think I feel good. I can keep going. Like you said, go, go, go. Like I got this, I got this. And then boom, I will spend usually about four days on the floor, just, you know, whether it was grief and burnout in that time. And I'm saying grief because most caregivers are going through anticipatory grief. They're already grieving. They're grieving the person they knew. They're grieving the relationship they had. They're grieving the dynamic that has changed from, from you know, parent-child to now child-parent. There's grief already happening. So I, whether it was that at that time or now, just grief of the loss of my parents, I just for, you know, four days, I'll end up just crashed. Usually as I lead up to those days, I'll just lose interest in anything I love. I, I'm, I've been a hockey player in my entire life and I just won't want to go to hockey. In fact, I'll dread going out, out the door and being around. And I'm such an extrovert. So for me to dread being around people, especially people I love, it's usually my sign that if you don't have the energy to go do one of the things you love most in life, like this is bad. What's coming is going to be hard. And then I'll just make a lot of space for that burnout for those few days, kind of cancel whatever I need to, lie on the couch, have a lot of baths when I can. A lot of baths, a lot of coffee, a lot of reading books. I I just try to let it be there and not fight it. And, but I think, I don't know whether we all need to do a really good job of balancing all this or whether we just all need to learn what our pattern is and embrace it as it comes that I, I have no idea yet. I'm still learning. I think you make a really good point. I think, you know, like if you know your pattern, I, you know, I had a rough weekend myself specifically, and I just started writing it down. I was like, okay, what does burnout look like? Because I feel like 
the more of us that can talk about what it looks like and how you feel during it and how you anticipate it and things like that, the more information we can get out as people going through burnout or and or professionals dealing with it, I think the better, because like I said, the population of caregivers is exploding. And I have, you know, in my experience, I see that people don't actually know the signs of what burnout is. And, and I'm fortunate, you know, fortunate or not, I guess, to understand when I'm going through and I do similar things that you do is that, you know, I drink more coffee, I end up being introverted even more so. I tend to be introverted. I can tell you COVID's made me more introverted. But I just, yeah. you know, I don't want to go anywhere. And like I was telling you before the show that I had to, you know, take my daughter to gymnastics and a birthday party this weekend. And there was <laughs> way too many people. For Did my, you win? <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's way too many people for my yeah. comfort level. But I think that that's the thing. You have to understand what it is and be gentle on yourself and let yourself get through and you know what I what I was saying about the ebbs and flows is that you know I'm not out of burnout that that's the thing it's like I can just manage better today than I managed on Saturday for instance and that's you know that's the part of you know giving yourself a little bit of grace and just you know dealing with it with however you have to deal with it to get through it yeah yeah Um, absolutely Laura is also a best-selling author, an internationally best-selling author. Uh, her book's entitled Daughter, Embracing the Difficult Journey of Caring for a Dying Parent Without Falling Apart. I've read it. It's a lovely book. It's very emotional. I have cried numerous times because uh, <laughs> you know, I'm on the journey with you in this book. And so, it, like I said, it really takes you on an emotional journey. And I'm curious, what was it like writing this book? <laughs> emotional. <laughs> um, it, so you just said about, you know, over the weekend, you're experiencing burnout and you decided to write it down. And that's uh, quite literally how I think I survived, for lack of a better word, because this isn't over, right? This journey is not over. Grief is never over. But that's how I really got through and found the strength to continue on each day through caregiving. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would write a book. I have a reading disability. Like I did not ace English, not ever, not one year of my life. But I have a very creative mind. And my dad actually wrote a few books. He didn't ever publish any, but that was his that was his dying wish that he'd get one of his books published. And so when this journey started for us and I started to um, write, you know, journal, and I didn't even journal before all this happened, but I just sort of found this moment of, hey, I could just write all this down. And then I would feel better. And on a, I think I've said this to you before, Amy, but on a, almost on a selfish turn, when I would journal and then post it, because I don't have any fear of being vulnerable that way. Um, so, so much support would come back to me and I no longer had parents that could offer that. And so I really thrived and even relied a lot of times, you know, on that, on putting out my feelings, putting out our, my experience of that day, the updates on my parents and getting all that support, like flooding back into me. So I feel like that's a bit selfish to say, but that is the God's honest truth. And so as I went along journaling, these people kept saying, you should, you should write a book. You write really well. You need to put this into a book. Um, so I decided that's what I would do. And it's actually funny because it's, is today the 3rd of May? Yes. It is this day last year. I finished my, I handed in my manuscript. My manuscript was due to my editor on May 3rd last year. And 
going back through the whole process, you know, going back to write the book, I had to really, it wasn't as easy as copying and pasting my posts, but they stood as, you know, almost markers throughout. So I could go back, read those posts, take them, rewrite them, elaborate on them and create this, this will not create, but retell this story. But there's a lot of reliving in that story. And my intention and my hope was just to write my story and have people um, take what they needed from my story. And it ended up turning into this program in a sense, because I sort of backtracked to exactly the moment I, I mean, I could stand here right now after having gone through the journey, done the caregiving, said goodbye to my parents, you know, had no regrets. And I could tell you what it's like from where I am, but you can't relate to that if you're on day one of hearing the diagnosis for your dad. <clears throat> and so I really had to take myself back and relive every single heartbreaking moment of that journey over and over and over and pour it back onto paper and get it out of my body. And it sort of just naturally transitioned into like on that day, I just really needed to drink more water. I didn't realize how dehydrated I was. And I forgot that that's actually self-care, not the spa, not getting a manicure, not having a three-day Netflix binge, which sounds all really fun. But in those caregiving moments, sometimes your self-care has to look like make sure you drink enough water in the day. And, and treat your body the way it needs to be. And maybe that's all you could handle in that moment. And so I ended up creating this sort of these eight steps almost, you know, of, of a program to help caregivers, help guide them through from that very first point of diagnosis and of, you know, accepting that news all the way through to the end. And but it was hard. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And I can relate as well when I was, you know, I saw, I saw your post on social media the other day. And when I saw it, cause I know how emotional it was that you had written the book and I'd saw a post before about, um, your, your trouble with learning and things like that. And I also have those kinds of issues. That's why I have oh, some okay. trouble, um, you know, pronouncing some words and things like that. It's just that it doesn't connect for me. And I, when I wrote a book, I felt the same way. It's like, oh my goodness, I just, I wrote a book. And then the cool thing about it, which you've probably experienced as well, I know you have, is that when people yeah. read your book and they're like, it was good. And you're like, oh my God, it was good. Like, <laughs> what do you yeah. mean it was good? Please tell me more, <laughs> right? And it's like that, yeah. you know, so it kind of, you know, it probably didn't completely balance out, you know, having to relive all of that stuff, but then at the end of it, you know, when you publish, knowing that you're helping people, I think obviously, you know, was your goal, right? And to like help people and to, to, to get it on paper and whatnot. And so to know that, do you feel like it was worth writing it for? Because I think it was so interesting that you went through and, you know, you laid out things like what to wear as a caregiver, how to set up your environment, you know, and I was reading that thinking that, you know, it's standard. It's like point, you know, these are the things you have to do. But as someone who has never gone through that journey that you have, I was like, oh my goodness, this would be super helpful if I was on that specific journey. And so I thought it was really cool that you were able to write that out um, and give people kind of that idea of, you know, what might be next or what can I look at? I thought that was really yeah. cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I mean, a lot of it was from, you know, don't make the mistakes I did. I had a day, I think I even wrote about this, where I wore, wore flip-flops for like, you know, I was 14 hours in the hospital most days with my parents and I was wearing flip-flops and my feet by the end of the day were just, 
excruciatingly painful. And so just the amount of nonsensical stuff I did and the silly decisions I made and the amount of coffee I consumed instead of water or instead of something that's hydrating and good for you because you're just going through survival mode, right? You're just doing whatever you have to do to get literally from one minute to the next minute sometimes. And so if someone could have just said like, don't be silly, flip-flops are not a great idea for, you know, concrete hospital floors all day, I would have said, oh yeah, shoot, right. Like, and so every day after that, I had, you know, running shoes. It sounds so trivial and so ridiculous. Towards the end of the book, it gets into much, uh, much deeper stuff, but it starts with like, drink the water, eat healthy food, pack some snacks for the day so that you're not having Tim Hortons bagels all the time. I mean, I obviously, Amy has seen this. I love Tim Hortons. Um, but, you know, make like, you're not going to make these these sensible choices in the moment unless you're reminded yeah. and you're inspired. And so I, that's what I hope it does is takes people who are newer at this and just so overwhelmed and scared and makes them put on some damn shoes with some support. Right. <laughs> I feel like I'm my own mom right now. Um, like wear sensible shoes, but you know, and just and grab some carrot sticks and hummus instead of swinging through the McDonald's and getting a burger. And then when the when shit hits the fan and it's the worst day you've had and you just think you're going to explode, get the burger. Like yeah. stop at McDonald's and get the burger because you just need to put food in your body. But plan for better. You're yeah. worth more. Treat yourself better. And ultimately, what I wanted to remind people is, if you were your parent and you needed a caregiver, who would you want to show up for you? Would you want the person that's like a sleep deprived, malnourished, you know, burned out mess? Or do you want the person who's looking like they're there to take care of you? Like they can physically lift you if you fall, you know, like they're not about to burst into tears at any given second. You're going to feel that way, but prepare yourself to feel the best you can for as long as you can. And then embrace those moments where you feel like you're going to cry and you need the greasy hamburger. For sure. I mean, you've got to do the stuff to get through. But I think that also a lot of people, you know, they're, they're stuck in their daily, right? And it's like, like you said, a lot of people are just minute by minute. And I think that if people started looking at the journey more as a journey and a marathon, then they would understand that at the end of that journey, or at the end of that marathon, or when it quiets a little bit, because it will, eventually for whatever reason it does it you still have you at the end of the day and if you don't you know like you said with caregiving one you want to be able to show up properly but also at the end of the day you're still there and you you know if you don't treat your body properly and fit in what you can it doesn't have to look the same but fit in what you can because at the end of the day you're gonna have to repair all the damage that you did to yourself because you're still going to be moving forward in your you know in your case you know your parents passed and you still have to move forward you still have three kids you still have a life you're still wanting to accomplish things and if you're a you know a sad sack and a mess you know, yeah. you also then have to accomplish that again and you have to get yourself back up. But it's harder as we all age as well. It's harder to do that. It's harder, you know, if you go through the caregiver journey and you gain 20 pounds and you haven't been exercising and you're malnourished and whatever, to get that back as you age, it could be a year for some people. It could be multiple year, but it's more impossible the longer it lasts, right? Like it's just hard to do. Yeah. And, and depending on your circumstance, if if your caregiving journey ends, God forbid, because someone passes away, 
you're all you're going through enough turmoil. You've you've got enough trauma already in your heart. And then to get up and and like you said, get that exercise in or get those, you know, those good meals in or anything. Just get yourself back up is so hard already. So give yourself the best fighting chance for that. For me, what was really important too was to empower caregivers. I really strongly felt like how do I, this is one of the things I struggle with the most. How do I get through this journey? I knew how ours would end. There, there was no opportunity for a recovery. I knew how ours would end. And so how do I get to the end of that without any regrets? How do I make sure I said all the things I would have ever wanted to say to my parents? That's impossible, by the way, um, to, to sit in that moment. And and what I actually I thought it was a gift to them was to tell them what great parents they'd been to me and to be able to say, just be able to tell them what they taught me in life and to say, mom, I'm, I'm this way and this way and this way because of you. I feel like as a mom, I just feel like I'm screwing up constantly. <laughs> and I think that's par for the course. And I thought, how beautiful would it be for my mom to close out her life knowing that I'm grateful that I have all these qualities and these skills and these strengths because of her and and same for my dad. And so to be able to say to them, any of these things, I thank you for teaching me to be this type of a parent. And here's, you know, my children can do this because they learned that from you. And I felt like I was so blessed to be able to do that. And for people in this caregiving position, I just want to encourage them and empower them as hard as it is to try to have those moments because people who are taken tragically, those are the regrets that their loved ones are, are left with, all the things unsaid. So say someone said this to me and I talk about it so much and it's in the book, say all the things and take all the pictures. That was really important to me. And so what I wanted to do with this book too, even with going back to the drinking water and, and dressing you know, the right way, was empower those caregivers so that they could get through it, not just in survival mode, but in a position mentally of being able to do all the things that they would want to do without having any regrets. You're going to get me. I'm like, I can feel it. I can <laughs> feel the tears coming. It's true. It, it's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It, you know, it's so beautiful. And I'm sure that you're right. I'm sure your parents love to hear that. And I have to change the topic because I'm going to lose my tears now. <laughs> Woo! But thank you for that. I mean, and I don't, you know, a lot of, a lot of people say, how do you talk about this and not cry? But I, I have cried yeah potions I don't have it's not that I don't have anything left I cry all the time but it's um yeah I I was I felt the way you feel right now in saying those things but I did them and I yeah got to say them you know Beautiful. and that's huge and that makes me be able to sit here now without feeling like I can fall apart because I know I don't have regrets yeah no it's beautiful <laughs> let's um let's let's change the subject a little bit um, because as I mentioned at the top of the show Laura is now running a foundation that you said is now a charity called Slay Society. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So my dad had a motto, which was slay one dragon at a time. And when he was diagnosed, that's what he said to us in the hospital. We had this moment and it was like just an out-of-body experience. We were all crying. We'd heard the words terminal brain cancer. We were not expecting that ever, ever, ever in our wildest dreams or nightmares. And we all kind of left the room, me, my brother, and my stepmom, and we broke down in the hallways in different corners, and we all came back, and my dad never shed a tear, and he sat there so stoically, quietly, um, you know, and he said, well, guys, this is how we're going to do this. We're just going to slay one dragon at a time. 
And he meant, if they tell me I need surgery tomorrow, that's what we're going to do. That's all we're going to focus on. And then if they tell me I need to start, you know, physiotherapy for recovery, that's what we're going to focus on. We're not going to look at the big picture and get overwhelmed and sad. And when 14 days later, my mom was diagnosed, my dad came to the hospital. And that was a very cool thing too. My parents always visited each other in the hospitals. And he said the same thing to her, Christine, we're going to slay one dragon at a time. And so it just became this like motto that we took with us. And so when I decided to do this charity, it came out of, I think, a need for support for caregivers. As I mentioned before, there's so much focus on the patient. There's not as much in place to support caregivers. And I didn't know of anything that was raising money for caregivers. And one day I stood at the gas station and I was pumping gas to, write, to race to the hospital to get to my mom who was recovering from her second brain surgery what could have been my dad at his third or his fourth or his fifth. He had six brain surgeries. I don't remember which time it was, but and I remember pumping gas and being so mad that I was paying $80 to fill my gas tank for something that I never asked for, that my parents never asked for. And it felt, it just felt so unfair as life often is. And that's the expectation, but it, it hurt. Like it was infuriating. And the next time I got gas, someone had given me a gift card and the amount of lightness that I experienced just in putting gas in my car and knowing it wasn't costing me money was so huge. And so I decided I want to give that gift to people. And I'm so well supported on my journey as a caregiver, supported by the community. And so I started the Slave Society to raise money to support other caregivers, just specifically the caregivers of glioblastoma patients, because this disease is relentless and ruthless and the most destructive cancer in humans. And it's also the least funded <laughs> of all the cancers. And I just felt like I need to do something. My dad wanted to throw big fundraisers when he got out of the hospital. He never did get out of the hospital, um, but he really wanted to give back in a, in a way. And I'm not doing it the same way he wanted, but I'm doing it in my way that makes sense to me and helps me make sense of a nonsensical situation. That, that's wonderful. I know that you have a event coming up called Plantopia. Um, yes. And I think that that, you know, one as an event, lovely, uh, you know, it's spring, it, you know, plants bring so much happen, like so much happiness and, you know, all of that stuff that brings. But I also think it's fantastic because that is and was your career and your love and bringing that into another venue and another avenue it's just beautiful. It's, I feel like it just marries things so well. Can you tell us a bit more about the event? Yeah, so I am a horticulturist and that was my education and my career and my passion in life. And it's been very rewarding to find, you know, to raise money and like to marry these two passions of, of fundraising, advocating and horticulture all into one. So it's called Plantopia. This will be our fourth Plantopia event. Um, it's, it's going to be held at the Broadhead Brewery in Orleans in Ottawa on May 15th from noon to four. We're going to have a bouncy castle. We have face painting. Kind of funny to have like a family friendly at a beer <laughs> brewery, but why not? It's during the day. It's on a Sunday afternoon. Um, the last time we did this, you know, a lot of parents shopped and these kids walked around with their little plants and they were so excited to just get the heck out of there and take their plant home. And you could see these parents just saying like, can you just wait? Like, I just want it 10 more minutes. So we thought the bouncy castle would be a really fun way to entertain, you know, a few children while parents 
shop, but you could come and shop for plants. We're going to have local vendors and um, all kind of garden and landscape related. Have, grab a pint on the patio after. It's just going to be a very cool event, all raising money for the Slay Society. And all that money will go back to supporting, financially supporting um, caregiving families for glioblastoma. Fantastic. I know the bouncy castle would keep my kid there for sure. She, yes, she loves the bouncy castle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Can, uh, before we end today, can you tell our audience where and how they can reach you? So you can follow Slay Society on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook page, both at Slay Society Inc. Um, we have our website at www.slaysocietyinc.com. CA. Um, and I am always available through all of those platforms. I'm always there to answer questions. If you want to reach out to me, um, send me a DM through the Slay Society Facebook or Instagram page. And or you can email us at slaysocietyinc at gmail.ca. That's fantastic. Well, again, you know what? I just lied. It's .com. Sorry. <laughs> gmail.com <laughs> it's all good we'll get there yeah <laughs> well fantastic and again i wanted to thank you so much for coming on sharing your story like i said i'm really hoping i know that it will make a difference but i'm really hoping that people find comfort in what we've been talking about today to carry on with their caregiving journey as well and hopefully pick up your book have a read um it's a lovely book, but you most likely will be in tears. So make sure that you have a Kleenex box. Um, it's supposed to be uplifting, Amy. <laughs> it is uplifting, but it's emotional, it right? And and yeah. like I said, I haven't gone through what you've gone through. And so I'm finding it emotional because you relate it to your life, right? And I also yeah. relate it to my career and what I've seen because I work with seniors, for instance, and I, and I have worked in different spots. So I, I can relate it to my life in different spots, but you know, that's what makes it such a great book that, you know, it's relatable in so many different ways. So thank you so much, not only for writing this book, but also for coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it too. So, so much. Wonderful. Well, and there you have it for today's show. I hope that you have enjoyed uh, Laura and I's conversation. I hope that you can take uh, some pieces away for your own journey. Reach out to Laura if you want to help contribute or or go over on the uh, May 15th, enjoy a bouncy castle and get some plants to support Slay Society. And, and really just try to get your one foot in front of another. And of course, you can also reach out to me if you have questions. That's it for today on Artful Aging with Amy. From me to all of you, I hope that you have a wonderful Wednesday. Mm -hmm.